Well, one of the things that um, bonds people together, one of the things that, that often is you're building relationship together, as you're growing in relationship together, this is true for all, coach, all cultures at, at all times, one of the things that bonds people together is sharing stories. We're story people, whether that's around the campfire or around the living room or at grandpa's feet uh, as he's reading a story, whatever it is, we're, we're story people. One of the things that bonds people, that, that grows relationship is stories, sharing stories. And in particular, it's not just stories, but stories often about difficult people. This might be past, it might be present, but one of the things that bonds us is sharing stories about difficult people in our life. So this might be on the more uh, lighthearted type where you think back to school and you say, oh man, let me tell you about this one kid and what he did to me. Or it might be on the more hurtful side of things where you say, this person did this to me or this person said this to me. This person mistreated me in this way. And you say, yeah, me, me too, and it, and it bonds you, and it grows you closer. Or it may be on the sense of somebody that currently, that you're thinking about, man, did you hear what they did? More on the gossip side, the slander side, the revenge side. Do you know what they said? Do you know what they did to me? Do you know what she did to me? Do you know what... One of the things that bonds us is sharing stories, and in particular, stories about difficult people. Isn't that true? And isn't it interesting that that's such a common human experience, such a common human experience that we have difficult people in our life, that it even bonds us together when we're we're willing to be open and share about those things. It's very interesting. We all have difficult people in our life. All of us, you, you might have them currently, they, they might be sitting next to you, they might be here today. They, we all have difficult people. This might be people that you, um, that you know really well. It might people, be people that you're close to. It might be people that you love and yet they're also difficult. Or it might be people that, someone that you, you don't really like, they're not close to you, but they're constantly causing havoc in your life. Wherever it might be, we all have difficult people in our life. What's interesting, actually, is that when I was researching for this sermon, the Bible talks about enemies, difficult people, three times as much as it talks about friends. Isn't that interesting? The Bible talks about enemies and uses the word enemies or enemy three t- more than three times as much as it talks about friends or friendship. This is such a prevalent experience in our life of having difficult people, or to use a stronger word, of of enemies in our life. So how do you deal with the difficult people in your life? How do you deal with the difficult people? People that don't like you, people that ignore you, people that harm you, people that are out to get you, people that just seem to annoy you or rub you the wrong way or irritate you. How do you deal with difficult people? That's a huge question because you have them. We all have them. So how do you deal with difficult people? What do you do? What if you could actually live your life in such a way that the quality of the people in your life didn't determine the quality of your responses. 
What if you could live your life in such a way that the quality of people in your life, whether they were difficult or not difficult, the quality of the people didn't determine your joy or your behavior or your emotions? What if you could live like that? And Jesus speaks to this very issue. Jesus speaks to one of the the hardest sayings, I would say, of Jesus, as well as one of the most helpful. And this is what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to talk about enemies, people that are difficult in our life for whatever reason. And we may find that it's a broader category of enemy than than just uh, those that are really trying to hurt you, per se. So before we talk about how we actually deal with the difficult people in our life, we first just have to ask, who are they? The Bible talks about enemies. Who are our enemies? Who are they? Well, we'll look at what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what he says. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And some of you, we just want to stop there, right? Well, that's, a good, that's good, Jesus. Thank you. The end. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles, those are people that are non-Jewish people, do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect." Now, here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at how Jesus says we are supposed to respond to the difficult people in our life, but also who they are. And there's three different categories of people that Jesus lists here. Three different types of people that Jesus lists here. And so here's the first one. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. People that persecute you. Now, I don't know if you have people like this in your life. But these are people that are intentionally out to get you. For whatever reason that might be. If you look at school, sometimes this is where you see bullies. And it seems for no reason that they're just out to get a certain kid. They just want to bully them. Some of you probably were bullied as kids. And it's horrible. And often there's no reason. It's just, uh, I don't like that kid. And I'm going to bully them. People that persecute, persecute for a whole variety of reasons. It might be because of your race. It might be because of your social standing. It might be because they just don't like the way you smell. It might be because of your faith. It might be because of a variety of things. People that are intentionally out to get you, intentionally harm you. Do you have people like this in your life? I was talking to somebody this week. We were having dinner and he shared with me that he felt as this as if his boss was just for some reason out to get him. For whatever reason, just had it against him. And he does a good job at work, and he's been with the company a long time, but for whatever reason, the boss just seems like, I've got it in for you. This is persecution. People that persecute you, that are out to get you. Do you have those kind of people? This is the first category of people when we ask, who are our enemies? Well, some of them are on the extreme side of things. They're people that are out to get you. Secondly, though, that's that's not it. Jesus says this, 
For he makes his son, talking about God, he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Now this is, this is people that are in general not doing what you want. See, if you, if you look at it from God's perspective, here, here's what he says. There's people that are evil and people that are good. People that are just and people that are unjust. Now, when you think about unjust and you think about evil, you may think about very specific categories of people that are in jail or something along those lines. People that are, wear black hats and are just ravenous folks. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. It sounds like a band, ravenous folks. If any of you want to start one. You can have the name. I'll I'll give it to you. Um, These are people that just in general are going against God's will. They they might not declare themselves, I am an enemy of God, but they're just people in general living their life not as a part of God's family. They're people in general not living their life saying, what is God's will? How can I follow God's will? How can I live my life in such a way that aligns with God's desires? These are people that are just in general living a life that God would call evil, that God would call unjust, but it's, it's generic. So if you think about it then from God's perspective, the, way G, the reason that Jesus is bringing this into our lives is because you have people like that. You have people in your life that aren't necessarily saying, I'm... I'm against you. I want to harm you. I want to persecute you. But they're people that are just going against what you want. They're people that go against what it is that you desire. They, they do things differently than you. They may speak differently than you or dress differently than you or talk differently than you or have different priorities or spend their money differently or their relationships differently or their time differently. They're people that are just in general going against what you want, going against what's comfortable to you, going against how you would will things to be. I've got plenty of people like that in my life. They're not necessarily persecuting me, but they're people that are living life in such a way that just goes against how I want life to be. They may be people that are, in general, living against how God says, and yet then it rubs up against you. So God says, be kind. And they're not, in general, living how God wants, and so they're unkind, and it affects you. Not because they're intentionally trying to harm you, but just because, in general, they're not living the way that God says. God says, be patient, and they're not patient, and it affects you. God says, be gentle, and they're not gentle, and it affects you. God says, be forgiving, and they're not forgiving, and it affects you. Just people that, in general, are going against what God has, and so it affects you. Or people that are going against what you want in life. This could be loud neighbors. It could be people that drive differently than you drive. Just people that go against what you... Oh, that one connected, huh? (laughs) Could be your spouse that goes against how you drive. If that's an issue that any of you deal with. Um, People that go against what it is that you want. Third... Here's the next thing that Jesus says. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? So here, Jesus says that an enemy can be someone that is not your brother and doesn't love you. 
It's someone that wouldn't naturally call you brother. Someone that you wouldn't naturally look at and call brother or sister. It's someone that is outside of your group. See, this is very, I mean, we start with persecution and then get to kind of generic ungodliness. And then here we're talking about people that don't love you and don't say hi to you. I mean, who doesn't love you? Who, who doesn't think you're particularly special? Who doesn't immediately be drawn to you and say, hey, it's so good to see you. I mean, these are just people that are outside of your group, outside of your affinity. They're people that you wouldn't naturally call brother, that wouldn't naturally call you brother. People that don't naturally love you, that you don't naturally love. That's a pretty big category, right? I mean, people in general tend towards those that are like them, right? I mean, people tend towards others that are like them. We tend towards people like us. That's just part of our nature. Birds of a feather flock together, whatever the saying is, right? People tend towards those that are like them. People are drawn to people that are like them, that they would naturally call brothers. Who do you not naturally call brother? Who is it that doesn't naturally just love you? They may dress differently than you, live differently than you, talk differently than you. They might be cooler than you or less cool than you. They might be prettier than you or less pretty than you. I mean, different people that aren't naturally the people that you would be drawn to. So I was thinking about this. Last year, I got a scooter, a moped. I love it. And when I got it, Oh, I just felt like the king of the world. I mean, I felt like, what do they, I mean, what do they call motorcycles? Like a steel horse, right? So I just felt like I was on my steel horse. It was more of a plastic horse, but I mean, I felt like just the wind was blowing in my hair, and it was just wonderful, okay? It was the best day, not, not the best day of my life, but close, top five. Loved it. And the wind wasn't actually blowing through my hair because I had a buzz cut at that time, but it was blowing through my scalp, and it was great. And what, what happened is, as I would drive around town, I'd see people on motorcycles and think, yeah, I'm, I'm like them. We're in a group. We're, we're, they're like me. But none of them would wave at me or say hi to me or anything like that. <laughs> That's not funny. I'm, not, I'm, I'm sharing my heart with you right now. <laughs> this is horrible. Let's just end right here. So I, I would, I'm serious. I was driving around and see them and be like, okay, they're going to wave to me. Or, and actually, just so you know, Motorcycle people, I heard this, don't wave to people. They put their hand down like that. So that's just what they do, just so you know. It's what a friend told me. I'm a real motorcycle friend, not a scooter friend. <laughs> and um, so um, what am I talking about? So I'm driving around town, and these people are not looking at me. They're not acknowledging me. They don't think I'm in their group, okay? But I pull up to a stoplight. This happened one day, okay? This is probably four months after having the scooter. Pull up to a stoplight. Guy in Harley pulls right up next to me. Looks at me. Gives me a nod. And I, oh. <laughs> I pretty much just went home that night. I mean, it was, I didn't need to do anything the rest of the day. It was job well done. I bought a, some leather chaps and drove around on my scooter the rest of the day. 30 miles an hour. Um, <laughs> I live in town, so it's easy to just get around within five minutes. Um, 
But here's the thing. People on Harleys don't nod to moms with strollers. They don't nod to skateboarders. They don't nod to bicyclers. They don't nod to cars. They don't nod to scooter people generally. They don't nod to people that are outside of their group. Silly example, but it's just true, right? If you're in a group, you greet someone in that group. If you're part of a certain affinity, you greet someone in that affinity. And Jesus includes this under the category of loving our enemies. Because isn't it easy to ignore those that are not like you? Isn't it easy then to not even just ignore, but then begin to actually disdain or demonize or feel self-righteous towards those that are not like us? I mean, we do this whether it's with sports. Oh, I do this kind of sport and I'm not like that. Or colleges. I went to this college, not like that. I mean, it's so ingrained into our DNA whether it's on a small level or an extreme level, that we welcome and greet and have affinity with those that are like us, that are part of our group. But if they're not, often it's not just that we ignore them, but we begin to actually think that we're better than them. We begin to think that they're bad people and we're good people. That's what happens. That's what happens. People tend toward their groups. It's easy to look down on those that are not in our group. So how do we respond to our enemies? These are the three different types of enemies. Those that persecute you. Those that in general are just going against what you want. And those that are not a part of your group, that don't love you, that don't naturally call you brother. How do we respond to enemies? How do we respond Because this definition of enemy, as I was thinking about this, praying about this, is a much broader, much more convicting definition. If I think about enemy, and when I think about enemy, I normally think of enemy in terms of those that would be persecuting me. Those out to get me. Those trying to harm me. And so if Jesus says, love your enemies, well, okay. If I ever come across one of those people out to get me, then I'll I'll love them. But this is a much broader category. It's an equal opportunity, all-inclusive enemy definition. One that is applicable to all of us. The difficult people in our life that go against what we want, that are outside of our group, or that are trying to harm us. So how do we respond to our enemies? Because isn't the natural inclination in your heart when there's an enemy to attack, to fight back, to go against... Someone speaks evil against you, you speak evil against them. Someone does harm to you, you do harm to them. Someone harms your reputation, you harm their reputation. If someone is unkind to you, you're unkind to them. If someone doesn't give you good service, you don't tip them. If someone cuts you off, you speed up behind them or honk the horn or swerve in front of them. Our natural inclination is when someone does against us, we do against them. And maybe you don't even think you have enemies. But when we look at a broader definition, we see that we all have those difficult people in our life. And how do you deal with them? Is your inclination to attack? Or maybe it's just get them out of your life. I don't have any enemies because I've just removed them all from my life. I just walked away from them. Whatever it is, the natural inclination... 
When there's enemies in our life, it's to either fight against them or get away from them. We don't want them. I don't want them either. I'm not saying we should all want enemies, but what I'm saying is the natural tendency in our heart when confronted with difficult people is to either be difficult back to them or to just leave them alone. It's not to love them, right? Our natural inclination isn't love them. Oh, an enemy? I'll love you. Jesus gives a really hard instruction here. He says, love your enemies. That, I mean, that's hard, right? He gives a really difficult instruction of what we're supposed to do with the difficult people in our life. It's not easy. That's not something that he says that we all just clap and say, yes! When we hear, love your enemies... There's kind of a tension within us, I believe, at least within me. When you hear that instruction of love your enemies, there's something in us that goes, that's beautiful. It's poetic. It's pray for those who persecute you and love those outside of your group. There's something in us that that senses a beauty to that. And yet also senses, that's impossible. That's difficult. I've got a thousand reasons why that won't work, why that doesn't apply to my situation, why that couldn't work with this particular person. There's something in us that senses both the glory of it and yet the impossibility of it. Jesus says that we're to love enemies, something that we're caught in this tension of appreciating and yet wanting to get away from at the same time. So what does it mean to love our enemies? What does it mean? How do we do that? Jesus gives us three ways of how we love our enemies. Here's the first. We looked at these, looking at who are our enemies, but let's look at what Jesus actually says. Here he says that we greet them. That we greet them. One of the most humanizing things that you can do to someone is say hello. I mean, isn't that true? I remember doing this uh, program when I was in college where we were, a group of us were homeless on the streets for five days. And we didn't brush our teeth. I got three cavities afterwards. And, um, and we, um, that's not a joke. And, um, and so brush your teeth, kids. And um, we dressed in clothes that made us look homeless and all of that stuff. And I remember walking through the streets that one of the things that frustrated me the most was people wouldn't even look at me wouldn't even acknowledge me. One of the most humanizing things you can do is just say hello to somebody. Love begins with hello. Put that on a bumper sticker. Love begins with hello. It's one of the most respectful things you can even do to someone is just to acknowledge their existence, acknowledge their presence, to greet them. Particularly those outside of your group, outside of your affinity. And Jesus says that one of the first ways, one of the easiest ways, one of the starting ways that we love people is by just saying hello to people. And though that is on the simpler side of things, it can also be very difficult to say hello to those that are outside of your group, to greet those that are different than you, to welcome those. And this isn't just a passing hello. It's a greet that then leads into relationship. 
Or you can think about this in terms of who are your enemies. Maybe hello means picking up the phone. People that have excluded you or ignored you or been hurtful to you. Maybe it begins with picking up the phone and saying hello. So one of the first things that Jesus gives us is greet. Greet those. Second, he says this, For he makes his son, God makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Here's what this is saying. God meets people's practical needs. Period. Both the good and the evil. Both the just and the unjust. He meets people's practical needs. It's not just talking about sun and rain in the sense of people going outside and tanning and, and rain being present. It's talking specifically about sun and rain are very important for an agricultural society. He meets people's practical needs no matter where they are in relationship with him. This is called God's common grace. That God is good to all people. That God loves and treats people well that are in this world. I mean, it's not just the good people that get sun and the bad people don't. If you're at your house and you're outside in the sun and you look over in your neighbor's houses, it's raining on him. That's not how it usually happens, right? If you go skiing and all of a sudden someone's slope, just the snow just disappears and they go tumbling down the hill, you don't go, oh, well, it's too bad. God must not have given them snow. He gave it to me. That's not what happens. God gives rain and sun to the good and the evil, to the unjust and the just. And so what this is saying for us is that we're to meet people's practical needs. The Bible says it elsewhere, do good to those who hate you. To actually meet people's physical, practical needs that are enemies. That's one of the ways that we love people. And third, he says this, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And this is not, God, I pray they get hit by a bus, right? I have a friend who posted on Facebook and his kid, which... I think we kind of are mean to kids, by the way, because we post anything dumb they say on Facebook. Would you want someone following you around and doing that? But his kid said, Lord, I pray for all my friends that they would serve me. Amen. In your name. I think he meant that they would serve God, but he got it, or maybe not. But to say, pray for those who persecute you, is to say that you're actually concerned for their ultimate good. That you would make a commitment to their ultimate good. That you would actually, before God, say, I want this person's good. This may be that God would save them and bring them into his family. This may be that they would get the job. This may be that their relationship would get reconciled. This may be that, I don't know. But that you would actually be committed to their good such that you would spend time praying for them. Now, this doesn't mean that all of a sudden when you pray for this person, they're going to stop persecuting you. They might. I've seen people that have prayed for those that persecute them, and that person actually changes. 
But it might not. It might just change you. It might just change you such that you have God's heart wanting their good instead of being against them. So Jesus tells us to greet people. He tells us to meet their needs and he tells us to pray for them. To pray for them. What of these can you do even this week to those that are difficult people in your life? To those that ignore you, that go against what you want, that persecute you? So how do we do all that? How do we do all of this that Jesus has said to us? Because when you look at all of that, it's difficult. And that's difficult to sustain. Maybe you can do it tomorrow. But it's difficult to live like that. It's difficult to live your life in such a way where you are praying for those that are against you and greeting and welcoming people that are in different groups than you and loving enemies. I mean, doesn't it bother you that he said that? It does me. It's a hard saying. So how do we actually live in this way? How do we live like this? How do you actually have the power to have that kind of love where you're able to love enemies? How do you do that? How do I do that? First off, what's interesting is he says this, you have heard that it was said, and that's something Jesus says frequently, which means that there is a different wisdom that God has than that we have. You have heard that it was said about a lot of things in life. You have heard that it was said about a lot of things. And Jesus would speak a different kind of wisdom. Because not everybody would agree we should love our enemies. Some people would say, just get rid of them. Surround yourself with positive people. Jesus gives us a different wisdom. So how do we do this? Well, first, the first clue is that Jesus says, love your enemies so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Love your enemies so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. And this is not saying loving enemies makes us God's children. That if you do this, you become God's child. What it's saying is that love your enemies so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. He is your father. Live like this. Live as God's sons. If you know that God is your father, that God is your father in heaven, that heaven is your home, that God is your father, if you know that truth in a real way, then you're able to love difficult people because they can't take anything from you that is ultimate. They can't destroy anything in you that is ultimate. They can't harm you in any way that is ultimate. If your father is God, excuse me, I'm about to sneeze here. If your father is God, and your home is heaven, then that's where your satisfaction is, That's where your contentment is. That's where your joy is. That's where your rest is. And all the enemies would do to you, all that you fear that they would harm and take away, whether reputation or physically, whatever it might be, they can't actually do eternally if God is your Father in heaven. 
You have a Father in heaven that loves you, that accepts you, that welcomes you, that brings you into His family. That gives you a power. That gives you a ballast so that all these other things don't shake you because you have a sure foundation in Him as your Father that's already given you such love. But secondly, here's what He says. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That is both a command that points us in the direction that God has for us and a reminder of our need. Let me explain this. See, often we say, nobody's perfect as an excuse for the things that we do. That's not how Jesus ends his sermon, though, right? He doesn't say, love your enemies, do good to those, pray for people, and, you know, at the end of the day, Nobody's perfect. Have a nice day, everybody. That's not how he ends it. He actually ends it the opposite and says, Therefore, you must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, that, that's a pointer in the direction that God wants us to go, but it's a reminder of our need. Because saying that nobody is perfect is not an excuse. It's actually a judgment on yourself. To claim before God, hey, nobody's perfect, is actually just an admission of guilt. I am not who you are calling me to be. I am not who you've designed me to be. I am not who you've made me to be. I do not live as you would have me live. I do not do as you would have me do. I do not feel and think and speak as you would have me. It's actually an admission of guilt to say I'm not perfect. It's not an excuse that gets you off the hook. It's an admission of how bad we are. See, if you look at your life, if I look at my life, if we look at life and see we've actually been enemies to God, we've done all of this that enemies do to us, we've done that to God. Maybe you have outright opposed God. Maybe you have just simply ignored God. Or maybe you have, maybe you have actively gone against God's will, lived life not saying, what does God want from me? So you may have dismissed God, rejected God, or ignored God, but we've all actually been enemies to God. We've been enemies to God. Because we're not perfect, which means at the deepest level, we are enemies of God. Now let me explain this, because many people do not believe that they are enemies of God. I remember talking with a gal once, several years ago, who told me, I am not an enemy of God. I've never been an enemy of God. Many people think, at one point in my life I didn't know God, and now I know God. Or, at one point in my life, um, I, I really sensed a need for God, and so then God came into my life. I knew I needed Him, I came to the end of my rope, and I went to God. Or, I've just always known God. I've always been in relationship with God. But the Bible actually teaches that we were enemies of God. Here's how it says it in Romans. Paul says this, For if while we were enemies, we is us, 
For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, that's brought back into relationship with God, by the death of his son, Jesus, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. See, when you understand that you have been an enemy to God, it makes his love all the more sweeter such that it ends in rejoicing. If you do not think that you have ever been an enemy of God, if you do not think that your sin or your ignoring or your dismissing or your rejecting or your active or passive life apart from God makes you an enemy, then you won't ever think his love is that great. Only to the degree that we understand that we've been enemies is to the degree that we will understand his grace and his love. If you just think you didn't know God and then now you know him, or you, you didn't need him and then you saw you needed him, then you'll just think he's kind of a nice guy. Only to the degree that you see that you were or are an enemy of God will you see how great his love and grace is. Here's how this empowers you to love enemies. Loved enemies love enemies. If you view yourself as someone that was a loved enemy, then you love your enemies. Loved enemies love enemies. That's a profound truth that gives us the power to love those in our life that are enemies. If you believe, I was an enemy to God, and yet, and yet, while I was an enemy... God brought me back into relationship. He reconciled me to himself because of what Jesus did on the cross. If you believe that, then you see that love for enemies is what saved you. And so that flows out of you then to others. Loved enemies will always love enemies. Do you believe that you were an enemy of God and that he saved you? If you do, then that begins to change your heart to love even the worst of enemies. I know that when I understand that truth more, when I'm in a difficult conversation with somebody that's being difficult or when there's people in my life that are going against what I want, the power that I have to love them is a direct correlation of my understanding and belief and heartfelt grasp of the fact that God did that to me when I was an enemy. Now, this takes time. It's not walk out of here and boom, there you go. But to the degree that you get this is to the degree that you love those that are difficult in your life. Imagine what would happen if the people in your life that are difficult didn't determine your responses. That the quality of difficult people didn't cause the quality of your response. This is what gives you the power to do that. That you look and go, God loved me when I was an enemy. So I can love my enemies. Not because of his example that I'm following, but because of the power of how that changes your heart inside. That's the beautiful truth. 